Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Tired of searching across countless DEXs for tokens and liquidity? Want an easier way of cross-chain portfolio management or more professional training experience? Plasma Finance gives you all available liquidity and tokens from all DEXs, guaranteeing the best price and lowest fees. Trade like a pro with limit orders and hyperdex on Ethereum, Polygon, and Binance Smart Chain. Visit Plasma.Finance and experience Easy DeFi. From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily, and my name is Matthew Diemer. Today on the show, we have our week in review. And I welcome back Scott Cipollino, writer from Decrypt. That's coming up today on the Decrypt Daily. Good morning, everybody. Friday, December 3rd, 2021. I want to get straight into those crypto prices because we have a long episode today. Me and Scott talked quite a bit about these things. Hopefully, it's interesting. Uh, if you have any questions or comments about anything we say, please email me, Matthew Aaron at decrypt.co. That's Matthew A A R O N at decrypt.co. Let's get into those crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. And I'm recording this at 10.45 Eastern Standard Time. Bitcoin is pretty much even from yesterday at $56,130. Ethereum is at $4,506. Down, it says 0.3% from yesterday, but it's pretty much the same. Binance Coin is down 1.4% at $610. Tether's number 4 and Solana's number 5 at 226 up 0.3%. Running off the top 10, we have Cardano, XRP, USDC, Polkadot, and Dogecoin. And look at that, Luna is in the number 11 spot. It is up 5% and up 70% in seven days. Yowzers. Total market cap, we're at 2.6 trillion, a BTC dominance of 40.9 and an F dominance of 20.6. We are gonna skip coin of the day today and go straight into our conversation with Mr. Scott Cipollina, writer from Decrypt, and this is our week in review. My favorite week in review friend, Scott Cipollina. Writer, Decrypt, how you doing, sir? I'm good. How are you? Don't talk over me, sir. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the host here, sir. (laughs) I'm the captain now. I'm joking, joking. So we have... (laughs) <laughs> so we have uh, four articles today, my friend, that I want to go over because I think this week it was a little different than most weeks because we had uh, uh, some political things in the news and some business things in the news. And a lot of things have to revolve are revolving around NFTs like usual, um, which I'm really kind of getting sick of NFT news. It's like every time another company makes an NFT, it's it's the front page of something or other. But it, it is substantial. It is, you know, big news. And I, But I want to go from politics to business today. And the first one is a story written by, oh, well, look at that, Scott Cipollina. Who is that guy? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't know. But he, I bet you he's not going to speculate on this uh, article. Uh, <laughs> QAnon figure asked for Bitcoin amid congressional run. What is going on here, sir? Yeah, so um, Ron Watkins, who many QAnon followers believe to be the elusive figure behind Q himself, uh, he has taken to his Telegram account to ask for Bitcoin donations because he's struggling 
to raise funds in the traditional way. Uh, Watkins is running for election to the U.S. House of Representatives to represent Arizona's first congressional district. And what he said in a video that was um, posted to his Telegram channel, which I think there are about 423,000 or slightly over 423,000 followers. Um, and in that video, he said that they've been, well, to use his words, uh, they've had some cancel culture challenges in setting up some traditional fundraising. So Watkins designed a new solution that uses Bitcoin for fundraising. Um, and this again is not, as, as I wrote in the article, this is by far from the first time that uh, right-wing extremist slash conspiracist has actually pivoted to Bitcoin after traditional payment solutions have become very hard or if not impossible. Is this fueling, you think, the uh, political divide or the um, the partisanship of the way the United States views Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies? I'd say to a degree that's the case. Um, it also sort of like it really hits the nail on the head over what the if there is such a thing as a guiding ideology uh, ideology for Bitcoin. Um, if you look back to how it began, if you read Satoshi's white paper, it was very libertarian at heart. And I think that there are many folks who still have that those political leanings that perhaps are, you know, I'm not saying that libertarians are predisposed to following Q or, or believing the ideas of QAnon, but there is certainly some crossover with, you know, deep antitrust of the government um, and of mainstream media and things of that sort. So I would say there are some links, but again, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's a debate about people's political beliefs. And there are many people, of course, that like Bitcoin are excited about its future that don't don't have anything to do with these with these kinds of ideologies. You know, our next article that we're going to talk about is going to show the political uh, divide that we're seeing in um, talking points on cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Uh, but I, I, you are a very Americanized Brit, and so I appreciate you, uh, you and your love for the NFL and all things <laughs> uh, in New York City. And what is your take on this? You said you know you did say far right. Q Anon, this guy is, you know, whatever, uh, maybe the founder of Q, he is Q maybe. Uh, but there is also a breakdown in, I would say, maybe democracy. And I want to know your opinion about that. If somebody cannot raise funds, the traditional methods, like any other candidate, um, and, you know, put their campaign out to the people to make a decision, do you think that is anti-democratic for these platforms to shut him down? Or do you think that is justified because he is a far-right uh, conspiracy theorist, fringe thought ideology kind of person that is probably more detrimental than beneficial? Well, I wouldn't say it's necessarily anti-democratic uh, for like traditional payment institutions um, to, to sort of siphon somebody off of their, their campaign. I think it, it's reminded me of another example that's close to this. Andrew Anglin, we actually just, we discussed this on the podcast recently as well. Andrew Anglin is the um, founder of the Daily Stormer, which is a neo-Nazi publication. Um, he has received about $5 million worth of Bitcoin since January, 2017. His, his, his fundraising options became severely limited after PayPal banned him and traditional credit institutions didn't want anything to do with him. There's even examples of back at the beginning of this year, the Capitol Hill riots in January, they were partly financed by Bitcoin as well. A white nationalist called Nick Fuentes was one of the recipients of those funds. We're not talking here necessarily about just divergent political opinions, but we're talking about explicit calls to violence which, you know, hate speech legislation and things of that sort, those are the topics that we're going to be discussing here. But uh, it's, it's not so easy as to say, well, these are just divergent opinions and you have the mainstream media or the mainstream financial world, whatever you want for want of a better phrase, siphoning off these people and, and actually excluding them from the discussion. That's, that's not necessarily what's happening. What's happening here is people are being sanctioned 
because they're explicitly calling for violence and they're doing things that don't actually belong in the proper democratic process. And, uh, you know, and again, I want to just state to everybody, as you being, you know, from the UK, um, I think that Americans talking about this, we will really get into our camps and use our our um, CNN, Fox News rhetoric to go back and forth with each other. So I do appreciate your point of view. But do you think there's a difference between running a site that's a neo-Nazi site and being sanctioned or cutting off payments to something that is fueling either hate or violence than somebody that is running for office? Now, it's different if that if you have a site that says, hey, I am I hate these things, you know, and I hate these certain people or this certain, you know, whatever. And we're calling for, you know, just hate and discrimination and whatever. But if you're running for office, which is part of the Democratic process um, and you're cutting off those abilities to run a campaign, do you think that that's the same thing? Essentially, I think I, I would say, yes, it is. I, if you, you just take one look at what Ron Watkins has said before. A lot of the things that he says are just right out of the far right's political playbook. Uh, I'll read a quote here about everyone knows about the new COVID variant um, that's, that's come out in just recent, recent days now. He said, and I quote from his Telegram uh, channel, just as the fear of the CCP virus was starting to wane in the eyes of the general public, a conveniently timed and heavily mutated variant has been discovered in inverted commas. Um, this is a guy that peddles in Scott, Scott, we, we yeah. you know, we can't see your air quotes on a podcast. I know. That's why I said it. <laughs> I, I did it for your benefit, but I, I wanted to point that out. But, um, you know, just this, this is somebody who plays right out of the same playbook as some of the worst far right extremists that we've seen in recent history. Um, so I think that while we can have the discussion about, you know, the democratic merits of traditional payment institutions or payment solutions, um, essentially sanctioning him and sanctioning his race for Congress, I don't think that there is much of a material difference between folks like Ron Watkins and folks like Andrew Anglin. Scott, I agree with you. And but I want to, you know, just bridge us over to our next political article from the week. Uh, that's Elizabeth Warren uh, calling about um, Bitcoin being an environmental hazard. Uh, this is also a, a piece that you wrote, uh, but uh, we are d- definitely seeing that the talking points from the Republicans uh, to the talking points of the Democrats are definitely starting to have a bigger chasm and, and less bipartisanship. You have Ted Cruz on one side calling for, you know, uh, taking the brokerage wording out of the uh, infrastructure bill. Uh, you have a lot of Republicans or GOP uh, people getting lobbied and advocating for uh, supporting this innovation. Uh, we There are people on the Democrat side for this as well, but they're not as vocal. And they're also getting drowned out by, I guess, more high profile people in their party, say, namely Elizabeth Warren, saying that it's an environmental hazard. First, uh, what did Elizabeth Warren say? Well, Elizabeth Warren's actually um, written a letter to Jeff Kurt, who is the CEO of Greenage Generation, which is a Bitcoin mining company in Dresden, in upstate New York. Um, And what Elizabeth Warren has said is that given the high energy usage and carbon emissions that are associated with Bitcoin mining, mining operations like Greenwich and other plants as well, they raise concerns about the impact, not only on the global environment, but also on local ecosystems and on New York State's ability to meet its its climate ambitions. Um, This is not the first time that she's raised the alarm on, on, on Bitcoin and its environmental impact. Uh, earlier this this summer, she appeared on CNBC and she said that Bitcoin requires so much computing activity that it eats up more energy than entire countries. That might sound like it's um, might sound a bit hyperbolic, but it's actually completely correct. If Bitcoin was a country, it would consume more energy than the vast majority of countries in the world. Uh, And she said that one of the easiest and least disruptive things that we could do to fight the climate crisis would be to crack down on what she described to be environmentally wasteful 
cryptocurrencies. Going back to Greenwich, Greenwich has sort of been at the heart of this controversy for the majority of 2021, at the very least, when Elizabeth Warren started talking about the environmental impact of this industry. Um, one of the biggest problems for Greenwich is the fact that it draws on a supply of natural gas to create the electricity that's necessary to mine Bitcoin. Uh, natural gas, as we all know, that's a fossil fuel. It's not as dirty as coal, but it's still dirtier than many other renewable energy sources. Um, and because of that, because of the makeup of that of that facility, Greenwich has, has been facing off with a lot of environmentalists over many months now. Um, there was There's one lady called uh, Mandy Rose, who is a deputy who is the deputy managing attorney at earth justice an environmentally focused ngo she said that it, that the facility is just not environmentally friendly and she can't imagine how burning natural gas 24 7 at a power plant that used to be closed could in any way be compliant with new york state's climate ambitions i should say um so yeah this has been an ongoing issue elizabeth warren has been one of the biggest you know most outspoken critics of bitcoin from the environmental side of things I'd, I'd say that you know she's she's right in many ways. It is true that Bitcoin consumes a tremendous amount of energy. Do you think that it's a cherry-picked argument to say how much Bitcoin and uh, how much energy Bitcoin mining uses? And I'm I'm saying that because there's a lot of things that we do in day-to-day -day life that uses a lot of energy, and it's using much more than Bitcoin. For example, air conditioning uh, to cool your home. You know, I, I, some people, I mean, keep it really cold. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details or to cool like office buildings or department stores or so on and so forth, 12% of all energy produced is being used for air conditioning. And that's not heating, that's for cooling. Uh, obviously, you know, there's people with their older people or people with conditions, you need to keep it cool. And, you know, it could be depressing, especially if you're in some places like Dubai, where it gets pretty damn hot, you need yeah. to keep cool. Yeah. Uh, but are we cherry picking what is important, what is not important? And can we could also go down the line of how much energy is lost, uh, how much you know energy is just not used, how much energy is being produced, uh, you know, during off peak times, and that's just sit there and then you know it gets lost in transfer or yada yada. You know, do you think that it's a fair argument? I do. I wouldn't say you know, it would be disingenuous of me to say that it's that the you know Bitcoin is somehow like the only environmental failing that the world is facing, that that would be absurd to say. I think fundamentally this discussion does come down to social utility. It is true that air conditioning, we could, we could list a thousand things, planes, cars, anything that we can think of that, that produces a carbon footprint. Emailing has a carbon footprint, but it comes down to the utility that that thing provides. And this might upset a lot of people, but Bitcoin's utility is, you know, the jury is, is you know, they haven't decided essentially on whether or not Bitcoin truly is uh, a useful thing for society. We hear a lot of a lot of people that say Bitcoin will upend the global financial system. People say that it's it's a promising alternative currency and a promising alternative medium of exchange. We haven't seen that take place anywhere other than El Salvador, and there is no consensus in El Salvador about whether or not that has been a good move for the country. Um, so it comes down to that. It comes down to social utility. Is this worth 
the environmental cost that we incur if we embrace this technology. And a lot of people say no, because they don't have faith that Bitcoin carries the, the utility that many Bitcoiners promise. Um, and that's fundamentally where it comes down to. But, you know, one thing that we, that's a subjective outlook. Some people support Bitcoin and they say, well, I'd like to eat the cost of the environmental damage it produces because I believe in the project. And other people don't. But again, that's fundamentally subjective. What is not subjective is the facts on the ground about how much Bitcoin consumes energy. And the fact of the matter is, if Bitcoin was a country, I'm talking about the Bitcoin network here, it would consume more energy than the vast majority of countries. That, to me, is, you know, there's no getting around the fact that, that is a big, big problem. Um, I'd also like to say that, you know, that there is a question about renewable sources of energy that we could that we could use and people talk about potentially shifting bitcoin over from a proof of work um consensus system to a proof of stake one which you know so the theory goes that's less environmentally damaging but even still if we look at the precise or rather the, the sort of the bespoke mining machines that are needed to mine bitcoin there are other environmental factors that go into that as well e-waste electronic waste um there's a there's a gentleman called alex devries who's the founder of a Digiconomist, which is a basically it's a blog that tracks the unintended climate impacts of, of emerging technologies like Bitcoin. He he said something that really resonated well with me, which was that you can't sustainably waste resources. And by that he meant if Bitcoin doesn't actually deliver on the promise that that many of its defenders say that it that it delivers, then even if you do pivot to renewable energy sources, you're taking those valuable renewable energy sources away from industries that perhaps are more worthwhile for a society. And we're seeing that in Scandinavia. So even if Bitcoin were to embrace fully renewable energy sources, a lot of countries will still have issues with it because they would like to use that renewable energy when it's readily available to, to deal with more urgent industries that they perceive to have greater social utility. So this debate isn't going to go anywhere, really. So I want to just move over to our, our last articles today, and it's about corporate America or corporations embracing NFTs. We have Adidas partnership with Board Ape Yacht Club and a couple other um, companies, uh, G Money and uh, Punks Comic. And we also have Budweiser launching their NFTs. First, I wanted to say Budweiser, the king of beers, uh, in air quotes there. And I'm telling people I'm doing air quotes, Scott. That's how you do this on a podcast. <laughs> is 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 selling their nfts for five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars for their i don't know some kind of gold can nft do you what is going on with this budweiser nft and why am i paying a thousand dollars for a budweiser nft yeah well yeah so just to, to, to give an overview budweiser budweiser are launching ethereum nfts uh they're being sold as the in inverted commas the keys to the budverse um basically the the NFTs are the, the well, rather the company is debuting uh, just under 2,000 NFTs that are ranging from, as you said, 499 bucks to just under a thousand. Um, and they unlock benefits and, and perks for those that buy them. But this is not the first time that Budweiser has sort of entered the NFT fray, let's say, um, earlier in the summer. So back in August um, of this year, Budweiser first entered the NFT industry when they well, they changed, first and foremost, they changed their Twitter profile to a hand-drawn beer rocket NFT. Uh, they bought that for about eight Ethereum, and at the time that was worth about $26,000. Uh, and it also registered an Ethereum domain name, which was beer.eth, for almost $10,000 at the time. So while this is new and it's making headlines, this is not the first time that Budweiser has sort of embraced the NFT industry. And then talking about Adidas, um, they they teased the partnership with the Board Ape Yacht Club. Basically, what happened there was 
actually the Bored Ape Twitter account shared a picture of an ape that was wearing uh, an Adidas uh, hoodie. Um, and on the hoodie, there are logos of Adidas and the Bored Ape Club, as well as G-Money and Punk's Comic, which were the two other brands that, that were teased in, the, in, this, in this move. And the picture right now really is all that we've got to go on at the moment. Um, but well, actually, it's more than the picture. They just released a video yesterday with the, actually, the, yes, true. I beg the, the G Money, the Punks, and uh, the Ape flying through the air, landing on a Adidas logo. There you uh, go. And and we and we just have to mention that Board Apes are over a billion dollar uh, franchise mm-hmm. now that's teaming up with Adidas, which is obviously massive. I don't know the size of G Money or Punks Comics, but uh, it seems like a very interesting brand synergy that they're going to just make oodles and oodles of money. Yeah, 100%. And as well, I think it's, I, I always like to sort of branch out from what we're discussing and identify like a bigger narrative, right? And I think that what we're seeing with Budweiser, what we've seen with uh, Adidas, it's it's part of a larger trend. Uh, Visa has also embraced um, NFTs. They called it a big cultural moment earlier in the summer. Um, and we've seen celebrities like 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 uh, Jimmy Fallon and uh, Post Malone as well, the rapper, they've, they've embraced NFTs too. So really we've seen, this is just a trend that we've seen throughout, throughout the majority of 2021. And it still has a lot of legs. We still have a lot of big household brands and, and, and names that are well known by pretty much everybody around the world that are embracing this new burgeoning market. And it seems as though there's not really any signs of it slowing down. You know, I, I've been telling people on this podcast quite a, quite a bit about my feelings about uh, celebrities and big companies coming into certain spaces. It seems as though, you know, it's the average people, these entrepreneurs, these, you know, innovators that come up and make these new things, right? I feel the same way with uh, YouTube and podcasts and um, now it's just NFTs. And then you see this big move from celebrities or people with a hell of a lot of money, marketing dollars or whatever, start to move into these industries that were primarily dominated by just average folks before uh, doing a thing. And then you see that this whole industry starts to shift to be more so a secondary uh, marketing arm of some sort of corporation or personal brand uh, from these celebrities and the average people that might've got to start, the average people are harder to break into these industries now. I mean, you can see this with podcasting. And it's one of the things that I saw with early podcasting 10 years ago, it was just all people, normal people that now are maybe famous because they started early on in it. But yeah. to break into a podcast as an average person without you know some kind of big fan base is now very hard because the top podcasts are dominated by either media companies, news agencies, or celebrity names. Mm-hmm. And, and the, uh, the ones that are individuals that kind of grew up from, you know, kind of, let's just call it nothing, were people who started way back in the day, you know, podcasting. And then mm. they just made a name for themselves, kept on doing it. And now they are still, you know, relevant. But mm. I, I kind of feel the same way with NFTs right now. It's like, who the hell's Jimmy Fallon? Where were you? And now all of a sudden a bored ape or a, or a crypto punk is worth $300,000 or a million dollars or something. Now you're buying it with your oodles of cash. And now it's a thing. What happened to the crypto space? What happened to the average people? What happened to our industry? Yeah, 100%. I would agree with that entirely. And just to, to go back to Visa, um, I've just looked up the quote from when they announced um, that they, they actually purchased a CryptoPunk uh, in August. And they said, and I quote, over the last 60 years, Visa has built a collection of historic commerce artifacts from early paper credit cards to the zip zap machine. And basically, they decided that NFTs were the latest iteration of, of, of that sort of arc of history. That may be true. That may be absolutely fine and fair enough. But you know, I think it's accurate what you've said, which is essentially that institutions and brands and household names are crowding out the everyday retail investment. If you look at some of the, the, the most famous 
NFT collections like CryptoPunks or like Bored Apes, they go for a hell of a lot of money now. And those are not, you know, prices that the ordinary everyday retail investor can really think about. Um, and that, you know, at least in my eyes, this is because they're being priced out. Um, and I suppose it's, it's the same as any innovation. If they really take off, then eventually they're going to turn celebrities' heads and, and, and major corporations' heads, and they're going to want to get in on, you know, get, get their own slice of the pie, basically. And NFTs are no different. I think that we're seeing that before our eyes, and we've seen it for a few months now. And in all fairness, you know, it was the average people who, you know, got the crypto punks, the board ape yacht clubs for, mm -hmm. you know, very reasonable money. And I know many millionaires now that were made flipping and trading and buying and hodling NFTs. So yeah. there is that downstream of, hey, you know what, dude had a, a couple thousand dollars, bought a board ape back in the day, now sold it for 500 grand plus a couple more apes and a crypto punk. And now he's a multimillionaire. Uh, there are those stories and congrats, congrats to them and all those Solana hodlers that have been hodling since $2. You know what? I'm very jealous. The fact is, is now it's just, you know, crowding out any average person. And we always have to, it seems like it seems like the, the risk is so much and the burden of the risk is so much on the average person now to try to create, uh, to try to find the next thing that they almost, that it almost builds. And it's a self um, feeding FOMO, you know, it's like, Oh, that, <laughs> that you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, yeah. Oh my God, my friend is a multimillionaire because he bought a, a, a crypto punk. And now I'm going to try to buy a crypto punk with the next thing, or they try to find the new tech that just doesn't take off. And it's just this, horrible like self-feeding FOMO of when is the am I going to find the next thing that Jimmy Fallon's going to buy yeah it's true and you know going slightly adjacent to NFTs it's very it's, it's a very accurate assessment of the NFT industry today in the NF, NFT market today but it's also just true of the broader crypto space if you look at you know go back to 2011 2012 and people that bought Bitcoin and held on to it all this time there's a high chance that they're also millionaires now um, and there are people that maybe are, you know, arriving, let's say, late, at least relative to Bitcoin, late to the crypto industry. And they're looking for their, their sort of, you know, life changing investment as well. Um, I think that's just, a, you know, the, the way that things fall, the way that things go. And if in 10 years time, we'll be here again talking about the next iteration of promising innovations and, and, and coins and NFTs or whatever. Did you, the did you say 10 years? Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I, I hope me and you aren't still sitting here talking to each other in 10 years. Doing I hope we're both like real rich off our crypto punks. What, what well, are we going to be uh, buying, my friend? We'll be, we'll, we'll be recording this podcast still. This is going to be a, a 10 year special. <laughs> I, I, I love it. I love it from our yachts with our crypto hot dogs, whatever we got rich off of. <laughs> but yeah, to, to me, at the end of the day, I think that that's just, you know, it's the hey, way that's a good idea. Did I just make the new NFT and like maybe mustard yeah. would be super rare, but you know, onions yeah. and ketchup are like not rare. And then we could have like, Sesame seed bun. So sesame seed bun and like mustard would be the super rare hot dog. Give it a go. Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Chipperlina, writer from Decrypt. Thanks for coming on the show and, and waffling on for about a half hour on this week's news. Anytime. Thank you very much, Matt. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Deemer. I'll be back tomorrow. Same Matt time, same Matt channel for our weekend update. And until then, happy hodling everyone.